Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Well, hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm Ken Hellenius, and sitting across from me in the virtual studio is the man about whom Salt and Peppa were singing so long ago when they said, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. <laughs> hey, Ken, how you doing, brother? Good to see you and hear from you. Good to see you as well, and it's a it's a glorious uh, a glorious day today. I'm sitting in the studio virtually, of course, across from you. The best half hour of radiotherapy that I've ever paid for. <laughs> awesome. Well, how are things going for you there at ND? Things are really good because, believe it or not, I am preparing to head to Rome. I'm going to be in Rome for a couple of weeks, and I'm going to be. Um, on pilgrimage with some of our students, we are going to uh, participate with them in, as witnesses to the great synod on, what is it, the full name is the Synod of Bishops on Young People, the Faith, and Vocational Discernment. And so we are taking a group of some of our, our fellows at the Center for Ethics and Culture with us to um, to witness what a synod is, and especially this great discussion at this time about what the church has to offer young people. And so it's really, really exciting. Of course, you know me, I love going to Rome and I've, I've been blessed to be there a couple times now uh, in my work. And this is just going to be a great opportunity to share the richness of the faith with our students and to also interact with the Synod Fathers, with bishops from around the world as they discuss uh, ways that the church can more effectively minister to young people with young people who are, of course, uh, the the future of the church. So it's an exciting time for me. Excellent, man. Glad to hear it. That's that's so awesome. It'll be a lot of fun. And believe it or not, I may um, suspend my diet a little bit while I'm there. I may have some pasta, may have some gelato. Oh, like you how do. could you? How could you not? <laughs> I know. It's so fun. So, well, we have been discussing for the last uh, couple of weeks, I think this is about our seventh show, sixth or seventh discussion about the uh, landmark document by Pope Paul VI called Humanae Vitae on the regulation of human birth. And we have been discussing, uh, especially right now, we're in the midst of uh, portion two, which is kind of doctrinal considerations. And we're picking up our conversation with paragraph 14, unlawful birth control methods. And last week we talked about um, kind of some of these principles as well. Um, we talked about faithfulness to God's design and it was the, the main topic last week. So this week we pick it up with unlawful birth control methods. And here the Holy Father restates for, for one, um, the he leads off with saying, look, abortion is not a moral means of birth control. And this seems very obvious to us, right? I mean, a child is already on its way. And uh, in, in abortion, that child is untimely ripped, unt- untim- untimely killed. And so this is not a normal method of birth control. And there are unfortunately countries where that is not accepted, right? The the one child policy in China, for example, 
actually had recourse to abortion for uh, pregnant mothers who already had one child. So this is not universally practiced and observed, but the reality is abortion is not a moral form of birth control. So we just have to state that and get that right out of the way. Well, you know, one of the things that they have to, uh, abortion proponents have to say is that the child in the womb is not a person. Right. It's not really a human being. It's a blob of tissue or whatever else they want to call it, instead of looking as a human being at an earlier stage of development. Because that, mm-hmm. that's what you have to do. You have to dehumanize someone in order to impose your will on them, and the, which is what we talked about this before with slavery. You know, mm-hmm. and the, the Dred Scott decision in uh, 1857 said that black people were only two-thirds of a, of a person. You know, uh, and, yeah. and and the rest were property, and, and so you. But you have to do that in order to dehumanize someone to impose your will on them. And they have to do the same thing with children in the womb. And biologically, clearly, it's a child, it's a human person. And then they say, well, when you have rights, when when you can live on your own, really. So if you're in a coma, then you're not a person anymore. You have no rights mm-hmm. because you're in a. You see what I'm saying? But that's what's happening. Yeah. The state is beginning to say we are the ones that dictate rights, not. You know, not by the nature of humanity, we as the state are going to decide what what value your life is is granted. We are the ones that are going to decide that, not not any extrinsic or moral law. You know, we become the lawmakers and we become the lawgivers over and above any any kind of divine law. Yeah. Which, of course, is, you know, clear opposition to the founding principles of our nation, the inalienable rights, you know, that are given by our creator life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and life is at the forefront of that yeah because there's no liberty in pursuit of happiness if you're not alive it's very no, simple exactly <laughs> very exactly simple. right yeah yeah so you know there's three things that uh paul the sixth talks about the first one you mentioned as as the condemned acts the first one is abortion uh the second one is sterilization so you talked about the, the in the direct interruption of the generative process that has already begun of course we're talking about abortion um, and is equally to be condemned. Notice he says equally here to be condemned mm-hmm. as the uh, majesty of the church is always affirmed on many occasions is direct sterilization, whether the man or the woman, whether permanent or temporary, you see. So so that's also important to recognize as well, because, again, after you have so many kids, oh, we, we have the kids that we said that we'd have this many mount no more then boom. You go get a you know, vasectomy or you get your tubal ligation or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, and that's, so your fertility comes to an end because you decide again, instead of this idea we talked about last time of ministering, you know, uh, in, in God's plan and cooperating in God's plan, you know, we decide that I'm God now. So I decide and you take a very, now think about this. When would you ever take a very healthy part of your anatomy and deliberately destroy it? No, seriously. I mean, think about when, yeah. when, when would you normally take a healthy, functioning part of your anatomy and and destroy it on purpose. Like taking out a kidney and just throwing it away. Yeah. So it's not yep. like you're donating a kidney, you know, in an operation to help someone else live. You know, that's right. we're not talking about that, but uh, deliberately destroying a healthy part of your anatomy for for what purpose? The the only time that people do that is cancer. Like if if you right. have a certain type of breast cancer, that, you know, it's in one breast. The doctors often say, "Well, we just take the other one because, you know, with with this type of breast cancer, we know that it almost always is will make its way to the other breast as well." You know, yeah. so as a preventative me- measure, they'll take some healthy tissue, or if if um it's in the lymph nodes, they'll destroy healthy tissue around the lymph node, 
You see? And, and so that yeah. so to make sure they got all of it. So cancer is the only thing I can think of where you would deliberately destroy a healthy part of your anatomy. But even then, yeah. there's a reason for it because you have cancer. There's a reason for it, exactly. You know? but in this yeah, case, there is none. We don't want to have any more kids. As if, if the kids were cancer, you see, that's where we are in our culture today. Kids are cancer. This is a rough, <laughs> rough spot to be, right? This is not, yeah. Um, I mean, now we need to say also that in the next paragraph, the Holy Father does say that it is acceptable to use medical intervention to cure bodily diseases. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. Even if a side effect of that intervention is to impede procreation. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. As long as that, that because, effect. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna, I, I'm going to specifically talk about the principle of double effect. And it, yes. and it gives some examples uh, to illustrate what the Holy Father is saying here. But yeah, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Okay, so so that was the second area was uh, which is condemned, as he says, equally to be condemned is direct sterilization. And you said there are three. What's the third? The third one, the Holy Father says, similarly excluded is any action which either before, at the moment of, or after sexual intercourse is specifically intended to prevent procreation, whether as an end or as a means. You know, so one of the biblical foundations for this is in Genesis chapter 38, verses 9 and 10, which people typically know as the sin of Onan. Right. So um, let me just read those two short verses. Genesis 38, verses 9 and 10. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So when he went into his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground lest he should give offspring to his brother. And what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, and he slew him also. Yeesh. Strong language there in the, in the word of God, right? Talking, yeah. about, talking about what the Holy Father is saying here. Now, it's interesting. Let me read you just a, a commentary on those, on those biblical verses we just heard in Genesis 38 from, from a Catholic priest, okay? Here's what he says. Okay. Onan must have been a malicious an incorrigible scoundrel. This was a most disgraceful sin. It is far more atrocious than incest and adultery. We call it unchastity, yes, a sodomistic sin. For Onan lies with her and copulates, and when it comes to the point of insemination, spills the semen, lest the woman conceive. Surely at such a time, the order of nature established by God in procreation should be followed. He was inflamed with the basest spite and hatred. Consequently, he deserved to be killed by God. He committed an evil deed. Therefore, God punished him. That worthless fellow preferred polluting himself with the most disgraceful sin to raising up offspring for his brother. <laughs> wow. wow, that's strong. And it was a Catholic priest yeah. who said that. You know who the priest was? Uh, no. Martin Luther. <laughs> Martin Luther. That is Martin Luther. Lectures on Genesis, chapters 38 to 44. He wrote that in the year 1544. It can be found in Luther's works, volume 7, pages 20 and 21. That is actually now, from Martin Luther. And notice wow. the date. This is after the, the Reformation, after he officially split from the church, this was his wow. teaching on Genesis. See, this is, again, as the Holy Father, as as uh, uh, Paul VI said, you know, the magisterium of the church has affirmed this on many occasions. 
you know, this is consistent with the teaching of the church to condemn this sort of activity. And wow. and uh, his friend John Calvin and John Calvin's commentary on Genesis, uh, although Calvin and Luther didn't agree on much, <laughs> they you no, know right. some of the letters between them are pretty heated, and some very colorful language is exchanged between the two of them. <laughs> Remember, this is radio, Deacon. Yeah, I know, right? but <laughs> but on this point, they both agree. Here's what Calvin says in his commentary on Genesis. Quote, I will contend myself with briefly mentioning this as far as the sense of shame allows us to discuss it. It is a horrible thing to pour out seed besides the intercourse of man and woman. Deliberately avoiding the intercourse so that the seed drops on the ground is doubly horrible. For this means that one quenches the hope of his family and kills the son, which could be expected before he was born. When a woman in some way drives away the seed out of her womb through AIDS, then this is rightly seen as an unforgivable crime. Wow. And why it is in this case, why they agree is because they too are affirming the same point that we discussed last week. We are ministers of the design created by God. We are not the ultimate arbiters. We are not the designers ourselves. We minister what God has designed. And so to frustrate, deliberately frustrate God's will is where the sin lies here. See, and so I'm just interested in how our Protestant brothers and sisters, especially Lutherans and Calvinists, can justify their positions against the teaching of the founders of their of their religious denominations. Well, when, wanna, when they clearly yeah. agree with what Paul the Sixth is saying here, and and the, so yeah, of course they, they have their soul scripture and all the other stuff, but when it comes to this, they are in lockstep agreement uh, with the church with the church on this, and even the two of them, again, who didn't agree on much. Uh, agreed in both their commentaries on on this particular point, which the Holy Father makes explicit here in Humani Vitae. So that that says something. That says something about how powerful this truth is that even transcends denominational lines that they can come to agree about the beauty of of God's plan for procreation. Wow. And look how strong that language is. That's, yeah. Wow, you won't, you won't hear that in a homily today, that's for sure. <laughs> no, don't want to be on the bad side either of them on the question. That's for darn sure, right? Um, Blessed Paul VI also goes on to say that in you know after we've established that these methods of artificial birth control are unacceptable, he goes on to say that we also we can't validly argue that it's okay to use contraception because it's a lesser evil than some other greater evil. Because, as he says, it is never lawful, even for the gravest reasons, to do evil that good may come of it. So really, you know, um, he's kind of saying, you can't just say, well, um, look, we really um, we really need to have this, we, you know, for the sake of our marriage, we need to, to have intercourse and because we can't get pregnant right now, we can't afford it, therefore we're going to use contraception. The, the Holy Father here says that, no, that this is not a justifiable reason to do direct evil. And artificial contraception is direct evil. This precludes the fundamental option type argument that we t- chatted about a couple of weeks ago that says that a whole life of otherwise normal relations can just justify sexual intercourse, which is deliberately contraceptive and so intrinsically wrong. You can't make the argument validly that, well, 
all the other times that we have had marital relations have been non-contraceptive. Just this once is, so on the whole, we're still doing pretty good. No, the Holy Father says that's still directly doing evil, and you can't directly choose evil acts when you know that they are wrong and when you know that they are frustrating the will of the Creator. Exactly right. This is really important to understand, going back to the point we made last time about, you know, a spouse that's come to understand the church's teaching, but yet, again, not deliberately wanting to participate in that act, but feels that, you know, uh, uh, unless they continue to have um, intercourse that's contraceptive, that's going to lead to bigger problems in the marriage. That's not justified. But I think the way, at least if, if I'm understanding this correctly, the, the way they get around this is as they're being accompanied in this, the husband is being accompanied in this process that she is the one not, not actually doing the contraception herself, you know, but, yeah. but the husband is, and we got this a difficult situation. And, and I know right. women, that, the, the, or people that go to um, uh, the sacrament of reconciliation uh, for this and confess that, you know, so, but again, very difficult issue here, but, but again, this is where the beauty of the church's teaching prevails. If people just open themselves to allow themselves to be able to um, at least listen to and mm-hmm. at least understand, I mean, it's just it's like it's like not hearing both sides of an issue. You know, it's like if you go to marriage counseling and all you hear is the woman's side, and the counselor never said, "Well, I don't I don't want to hear your perspective." You know, I I just want to hear her perspective. That you wouldn't do that, right? But yeah, people do right. that with the church. They just say, "Well, contraception is what we're going to do," not even wanting to really listen to what the church has to say uh, about natural family planning or anything like that. You know, so if we're going to accompany people, they need to hear both sides and listen to the church's beauty and, and teaching and understand what NFP is, and then you know work toward the beauty of that truth. And I think guys have a harder time with this. I think you're entirely right because. You know, I mean, I don't want to get into the men are from Mars, women are from Venus kind of stuff, but this takes place outside of us, you know? Sexual, our sexuality is extrinsic to us. We're not the ones who have the baby grow inside of us, you mm-hmm. know? And so we think of this as something, well, uh, you know, I have this drive, I'm going to deal with it, and then I just kind of move on. We don't internalize the discussion because we don't then become the home of the results of procreation. You know, we, it doesn't take root and grow within us. I, I wonder if that's not part of why for us we, we struggle more because we're, we just don't have, to, we don't have to think about it. Well, yeah, until later. Then the financial implications, yeah. you know, uh, right. that's when it be- really begins to affect us. You know, uh, and well, so and that's, that's why you have to have these kind of discussions. I mean, these are serious yep. discussions that couples need to have. That's why we talked about this before. The church doesn't tell couples how many children you're supposed to have or, or, or say have as many children as possible. The church doesn't teach that. But, no, but it's no. these types of conversations that couples need to have so they can be open to life, but yet be able to space their children for serious reasons like financial, like psychological, like, you know, uh, medical or whatever may be going on at that time. Well, I want to uh, explore for a moment this, uh, we, we kind of made reference to it before, the church, you know, does provide for uh, medicine 
to do its job and to care for us as well. And you, you explained that you had some examples because in paragraph 15, we talk about the lawful therapeutic means when Which medical like intervention, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's super short. Yeah, it is. It's all one, one entire sentence um, that, that has this discussion, as we said before, it is acceptable to use medical intervention to cure bodily diseases, even if a side effect of that intervention uh, causes somebody to become infertile, as long as that effect is not directly intended. So, for example, it's okay for a woman to treat PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, for example, via hormonal medicine, which precludes the release of an egg. So, you know, they, a woman may have to take the, the pill because it uh, helps uh, control PCOS. Or a man can have a cancerous testicle removed or irradiated, which renders him sterile. These are lawful medical means that are being uh, done to cure something which is clearly harmful, something which is which is a non-natural functioning of the body. The church says this is acting in accordance to restore natural functioning as much as possible. They're not doing this in order to make somebody sterile uh, intentionally. That's not the primary intention. Correct. And uh, foundational principles that the church uses when making these times of prudential judgments are called um, the principle of double effect. And there's four principles. The first one is that the act itself. So in other words, you're choosing between uh, an action. One is one has a good effect and one has a, a bad or evil effect. All right. So uh-huh. how do you know when to engage in this act? There's four criteria. One, the act itself cannot be intrinsically evil. So the act itself cannot be an, an, an evil act in and of itself. That's the first criteria. The second is the evil act, um, the good act must be intended, the evil act tolerated. So the good effect must be intended, the evil effect is tolerated. So you're intending to do something good, but in doing something good, there may be an evil act, which you're not intending to do, but that is an effect of uh, of, of the intention of this good act. The third is, is that the good effect cannot be brought about by an evil action. So you, you can't say we, we you know, um, we, we're going to have this good effect, but we have to do something evil in order to get that good effect that, that, you know, the, right. the, the ends don't justify the means in other words. And the fourth one is that the good effect must be proportionate to the evil effect. So um, there, there are, the, the good effect has to be equal to or greater than the, 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 the bad effect. And there must be a good reason to engage in the act in the first place. That's going to that's gonna bring about a possible evil effect. So let's take a, a simple example. Uh, an ectopic pregnancy. The ovary releases an egg. The sperm goes up into the fallopian tube, uh, uh, implants and fertilizes the egg. Then the fertilizer egg makes its way down the fallopian tube and plants in the uterus, right? That's what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but every once in a while, in fact, this happened not too long ago to a very good friend of mine. Uh, in fact, on the way to the hospital, husband called me to make sure that morally that, that uh, this action they're going to take was okay. But when the child is making its way uh, down the fallopian tube, sometimes the, the, the egg gets stuck and implanted in the fallopian tube, in the wall of the fallopian tube. Now, there's no way a child can live 
uh, 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 can grow in a fallopian tube. There's just no way that can happen. So, and and as a child continues to grow in that fallopian tube, that is a, a deadly situation potentially for the woman. So, right. so, so, yes, well, we have to go in and fix this problem. So, what are you doing? So, 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 one of the surgical interventions is to, well, there's some medicine that could be given that can possibly loosen the egg away from the wall of the fallopian tube so it can make its way down and implant in the uterus. Uh, in fact, there was a, uh, a physician who was in the armed services who told me that, the, that this medication was being used currently uh, as a means. But say that medication is not available. Then, then what you can't do is to go in and take that child out with a tweezers. You see? Because you're going in and you're ripping that child out. The other intervention is to cut out the ends of the tube, the, the two ends where the child is, and, and sew the, the other two ends back together, or to take the tube out totally. Now, what are you intending to do? You're intending to... Um, to fix this medical problem that could be a, a deadly situation for the woman. That's the, uh, that's the good effect, but the, the, that's going to cause the death of the child. You're not intending the, to the death of the child. You don't want the child to die. But be, that medical intervention, which is not deliberately directed toward the child, but toward the, the, the recovering and health of the woman, may cause the unintended secondary effect of the death of the child, which is sad and tragic. You see? So, so uh, if a woman has cancer in her uterus and she's pregnant and, you know, and, and, and any intervention that was going to cause the death of the child again, and they decide to take a, a hysterectomy, take the uterus out, it's going to cause the death of the child. But you're not intending to die, the child to die. You're not directing the intervention toward the death of the child. The death of the child is a, a sad and tragic secondary effect of the action that's taken to during this medical intervention uh, to cure this 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 illness and this, or this disease. Well, I'm really glad that you've presented these principles because they they help. Again, you know, we said last week too, the questions being discussed here in Humanae Vitae, while they are presented in the context of discussing, um, you know, regulation of births and contraception, they apply general principles of moral teaching in this specific case, but we can draw from them to learn so much more. And for example, these principles of double effect and how that works, I mean, that's that's really good teaching to know. Yes, it truly is. And so uh, once again, Ken, you know, we're at the end of our <laughs> end of our time. Oh my together. gosh. It goes by so fast. So uh, how can people uh, stay in touch with us and connect to resources they can learn more about not only Humanae Vitae, but about everything that we, we do here at Living Stones? Well, it's pretty easy. You go to livingstonesmedia.org is our website. We've got links to these documents, to some studies, like study that we're going to get to talk about next week. Uh, you can also download all of the previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. And you can also find us on Facebook. We are Living Stones on Mater Dei Radio. We're also on Twitter at Catholic Stones. Deacon, until we gather again next week. Might we have your blessing? Sure. May Almighty God bless you and your families, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. 
That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.